the Ten Commandments, ten ways to live differently. And I have to say, I want to commend you. Take your hand right now and just pat yourself on the back like this. You know, it's a well done because you have engaged with this topic in a way that for me as a pastor, I'm really, really encouraged with the conversations that we have had as a community about God's laws, about God's invitations for us to live as a community that lives to identify the character of God in what He says so that we are unmistakably different. That actually God is building a people and those values we found out as we've walked through them are really standing today. And we, we knew this, the 40-60 split. If you remember that from the first session where the first four commandments about our relationship with God, but the last six are about our relationship with the community and we're growing in what that means. I want to thank all those who've been involved in the speaking programme to do that. I understand the hard work it takes to go away and to put a, a message together and to both study and to deliver in a way. Hasn't it been fantastic? They've been really, really good. Can we just give those who've been ministering the Word of God. I applaud to say thank you for that. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed every, every single session of that. But what I thought I'd do is that this is the last one of this series because we are getting to the 10th commandment and it's an absolute doozy. You're going to love it. You know, I say that in irony. Um, but the, what I thought I'd do, I thought I'd do a summary called the 10 commandments Christmas version. Is it all right? We're getting into Christmas. So I thought I'd get us ready. Who's got their Christmas tree up? Put, put your hand up is how are we doing not bad, 25% of tree upage so far as well. Who's done all of their Christmas shopping already, not including the food, all right, because the food takes a little bit longer. Wow, that's great. Well done uh, for that. Um, I'm nowhere near that, but I have got the one person that matters there present. That, that's all that does. So number one, and I'm, I'm going to read out. You've got to guess. They're in order, so it's not too hard. You've got to guess the Ten Commandments, okay, as I've converted them into a Christmas theme. Christmas, the celebration of Jesus Christ, remembering that God is number one. What's the commandment? It's like assembly, isn't it? You know, Mr. Richardson. So no other gods. Fantastic. Well done. Don't get distracted with Christmas shopping, decoration, food, parties, presents, and movies. The real meaning of Christmas is the great news of Jesus Christ, and that is no idols. Well done. They're not coming up behind me, are they? Just to help you with that. No, tell everybody about Jesus Christ. He is the reason for the season. Make sure you speak well. Yeah, don't take the Lord's name in vain, the reversible. Let's talk about the character of God. Number four, make sure that you take a bake. A bake. Take a break. Christmas is a holiday after all. Yes, Sabbath is a great thing. We love this one, but find it really difficult. Okay, number five, celebrate the family and cherish the memories. They don't last forever. Honour your father and mother. Be the life and soul of the party. Don't be a killjoy and keep calm. Come on. Don't murder your family at Christmas. <laughs> Very important commandment. I don't want to bury you out on Boxing Day. Be generous in your gift giving. It's not about the taking. Live generously, do not steal. Fantastic. Honesty is the best policy. Speak life into your family. Don't lie or bear false witness. And today you're going to have a big round of applause. Be thankful for everything this Christmas. It's much better than 
you know, and we should not covet. Isn't it a favourite, isn't it? Turn to somebody and say, don't covet this Christmas. What a message, eh? I've got, what a finale, isn't it? This is what it is. You shall not cover your neighbour's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbour's. What I want to say generally, right, if we get this one, this is an absolute politician's dream. This is a chief constable's Christmas present. Because if we as a whole society, as a community, grab this message today, let me tell you, we would reduce murder, violent crime, theft, fraud, anger, hate, enmity, rage, brawling, rioting, striking, unforgiveness, wrath, contentions, clamour, despitefulness, debate, arguing, fighting, division. Some of you go, that sounds like my Christmas, aren't you? You know, uh, things like, I get that. If we did that, porn addicts, it, it kind of deals with that. Compulsive shoppers, it deals with this. Gambling, it deals with this. This is a massive one, isn't it? You're ready, aren't you? You just want to go, I want to know how we can do this. So what is it that we shouldn't be coveting? Do not covet. Right, here's a simple thing. I just want to start. Why do you need to be told? Right, often when you read that, you've overread this. You've read this going, oh yeah, I don't do this. Or do you? But the Bible says in Romans 7, verse 7, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said it. Here's the thing, in me talking about today, you're going to be aware of something in your life that you might have covered over for the last few years. Because that's what the Bible does. That's what God does. He suddenly comes and speaks into your life. It is not about making you feel bad. It's about revealing something in your life that is making your life bad. There is something completely different about that. Revelation brings awareness and the first stage of awareness is bringing the issue to the surface. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it well. We're going to work out what it is to not cover. And so simplify this. Is it a strong wish to have something, the wealth of possessions of another. There's three parts. A desire to want the wealth and possessions of somebody else. It's a desire to want something that belongs to something, someone else. Okay, And we're just going to walk through that little bit by bit. This is how it starts. right? Who remembers their childhood at Christmas? Put your hand up if you've got siblings. Has it ever happened, right, when you've all been opened in your presence, that you've looked at one of your brothers and sisters' presents and thought, that's better than mine? <laughs> Come on. You know, that fire engine truck, you know, all that Tonka toy. Anybody remember Tonka toys? I'm old. So, you know, and weebles, right? Uh, toys have changed somewhat, you know, and they're a lot more expensive than they always used to be, you know. But you've, well, that's where it all starts. There's something in this going, mum and dad favour my brother and sister more than me because they've got a better present. It kind of starts here because you're wanting and looking at what somebody else has and you want that. Maybe as a teenager, you're in the playground and you wanted all the latest fashions that everybody was wearing. Did you ever have that? Did you ever look at your friends, you know, going around, got all Graham? No. Did you struggle with that, isn't it? No. Because no? you've still got your fleece, haven't you, from your teenage years. <laughs> That's right. Oh, well. <laughs> when you're scrolling through Instagram, it is so easy to look at everybody's life on social media and think to yourself, they've got a better life 
than mine. Look how happy I am. Look at how perfect they are. Look at what they've got. And you know what social media does? It encourages to compare us to everybody else. It's said that comparison is the thief of joy. It's actually a code for covetousness in our life and brings out our insecurity. Have you ever been in a restaurant and you've ordered your food and everybody's ordered your food and then somebody else's meal is far better than yours? And yours comes, right? And you've got these two little circles of meat with a, a, like a stack of carrot, two carrots crossed over and a little bit of dribble on the top. And you're just going, don't cover your neighbour's plate. How about when your boss gets a new car? Ooh, look what he's earning. He could afford a new car. How about when your neighbour cuts the lawn? How many of you look out the window and you look at the neighbour's lawn? Look at his grass. Look how green it is. Look at his garden, you know. Oh, obviously he's got time to spend his time in garden. He's not as busy as I am. You understand where this is going, right? These are all low-grade covered things like this. But here's the thing. There's something in our society that is framed that we have this belief that possessions bring us happiness. If I had that, I would be happy. If I had things, then that would answer all my problems. If I had the latest phone this Christmas, I am going to be happy. That's going to answer everything. I'll be able to do this and do that and do this. There's something, have you noticed? It's that film out, The Greatest Showman. It's never enough. I'm not a singer, but obviously reasons. It is never enough. You are always finding yourself wanting and this coveting is this pit of things that you never get to the bottom of in your life because you're eager and you're going. It's said that covetousness is the art of counting the blessings of others instead of yourself. There's that great old song, Count Your Blessings. You know what coveting is? You count everybody else's blessings and wondering why you're missing out. Here's the truth, by the way, just to kind of, if you're feeling really quite bad about this right now, we all have this issue. All of us are right here in the middle of this black hole. And it's when the Bible says, I want to talk to you about it. Now, our first final is, I'm going to mess with your head right now. I want to tell you that coveting is not a bad word. All right. And I'm going to tell you, right, because I want to tell you what covet means. It means to desire. Let's kind of go into the Bible. Protology. First time a word is used in the Bible. Right. So if you've got your Bible, Genesis chapter two, verse eight. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man that he'd made and the Lord God made all sorts of trees. He grew up from the grounds that were beautiful. God created trees that were beautiful. The word in the Old Testament when you translate it beautiful is that were desirable, that were covetable. There's something beauty about this. And I want us to perhaps get some of the word back. It is okay to desire good things. They produce delicious fruit. Psalm 19 says, The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable. They are to be coveted. They are to be desired more than gold, than the finest gold. Covet means, wow, I want that. We're going to draw a line today about what you can say you can want and what you shouldn't be saying, what you want. I want you to know the line. I want you to know when you're looking at certain things that it gets bad. Genesis 3 verse 6. Let's move the story on. The woman, Eve, saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She wanted it. She took it. 
But there's a line in between those actions. And you can find that in Genesis 2 verse 15. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You can eat of any fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat that fruit, you're sure to die. There's a line. The line is what God says is not good for us. Why would you want to give your children the knowledge of evil? It's not about the knowledge of good here. This is about the knowledge of evil. Who would wrap up evil for their children this Christmas? So Jesus, God gives Eve a choice, Adam and Eve a choice. And there it is, right? Of all the good things you can have, there's one thing you can't. It's the point of choice. You can choose to accept that. But actually what it is, the devil comes in and suddenly starts to look at that apple on the tree. Or it's not an apple, by the way, just to let you know. But we, we kind of use it because it's easier. It says you want that. Have you ever, do you ever want things you shouldn't have? If I told you you can't have something, what happens to you? Why not? Like men are terrible. So ladies, if you haven't discovered this, men are awful. If you tell them no, right, they want it more. There's something in our flesh, isn't it? And women are going, that's right, isn't it? You're no different as well. Just to let you know, just kind of, let's all kind of, we're all the same, isn't it? What do you mean I can't have that, isn't it? No, you can't have that. You tell your children not they can't eat that cake before tea. What happens is they'll do everything they can to try and sneak it out of the Lord before you get there. There's something within us when it says no, but why the no? Because it's not good. You know, when we're talking about covenant, no, 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 it's don't, desire is great, but desire of what is in your neighbor's field, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's servant, your neighbor's possessions, it's a big no. You cannot have everything because everything is not good for you. Wrong means not good. It's not beneficial. Okay, are mince pies bad? So if you're not from England, you haven't got a clue what mince pies are. And they are really weird, aren't they? Isn't it? Marlene is going to have a mince pie this Christmas. And you can watch it go, what is this? You know, it's got a whole thing. We eat lots of food. Food is good. It's good to desire food. To have too much food is medically not good for you. We need to get hold of it and understand when we should stop and draw the line. There is a process to this in our life. And I think we can find it. I'll come to it later, if that's all right. Colossians 3 verse 5. If you want to read this, it's really challenging. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolatry. Worship in the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now it is time to get rid of Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, don't lie, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wickedness. Put on a new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave-free, young, old. Christ is all that matters and he is in us. It is an issue of our heart when we look at what it is to cover. It's the worship of this world 
To believe that possessions, especially my neighbours, will give me lasting happiness. To believe this is to break my covenant and my loyalty to God who supplies all of my needs. Every one of the Ten Commandments is an issue of your heart. What is inside of you will become your behaviour. There's talking about when Eve took in that, there's this action that we take and that is, you know, and the wages of sin is death, which is the process. We're led away by our desires. We then act on our desires, which becomes a behaviour. That behaviour becomes our character. That character leads us to death. Now, we think it's just something that's going to happen when we die, but all of these Ten Commandments kill our relationships. They kill our community and they kill our connection with God. To look over your neighbour's fence all the time and go, I want that, I want that. Their life is better than me. means there's something going inside of you by which you are not happy with what you've got. We need to nip it in the bud. James chapter 1 verse 14 says, Temptation comes from our desires which entices to drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when it's allowed, sin is allowed to grow, it brings death. It's like a cancer to our soul when we're never happy because we think somebody else is happy. Coveting or envy, as we often call it, leads to jealousy. Coveting the envy is when you want what somebody else has. Jealousy is when you don't want someone else to have what they've been given. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, but jealousy is like cancer to the bones. Cain and Abel in the Bible. It's a Bible classic. What is it about? It's about envy. It's about one looking at the other and not happy. Joseph's brothers, it's about envy. Leah and Rachel, it's about envy. Sarah and Hagar, it's about envy. Saul and David, it's about envy. Envy is listed in the Hall of Fame of Sins for Romans chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 5. It's a life destroyer. If you spend your life looking at everybody else, thinking their life is better, it eats at you, it erodes you, it just goes thing. The grass is not always greener on the other side. It's a snapshot of somebody's life. It's not the truth. I've got a friend who runs a great big church in Manchester. And as a result of that, some of the football stars who are Christians go to church in this church. And as you can get to know them, he often gets invited into the, the boxes to watch Man City play. And he said, I'll be sat there with millionaires, people who've got more money. And that's what they'll talk about, their cars and their wealth and things like that. And you can sit there easily thinking, wow, they've got it, everything together. But then they start to talk about their family and their relationships and their trauma that's going on right now. And you'll see a path of destruction behind all of that because we just see the lovely picture. We don't see the truth. It's okay for you, Aaron. You've got a beautiful wife. It's okay for Aaron, you, Aaron, because you've got great kids. It's okay for you, Aaron, because you've got a love guy. It's okay for you. And that's how it starts because we suddenly put everybody's far happier. But the truth of that is you don't know what's behind everything. You don't know what's going on in each other's life, but we are never happy. Somebody said the grass always looks greener, but it's just as hard to cut. You know why the grass is greener next door? It's because they water it. Number one, why grass is green is because it's well looked after and well watered. If you look after your heart, if you invest into your soul, you will be greener. And it doesn't matter about the possessions that you hold. Actually, there's something. Envy, by the way, the painful feeling of wanting what someone else has, 
jealousy is feeling threatened or protective or fearful of losing our position to somebody else. So I, you know, envy starts as a journey and, you know, we go look at everybody and go, oh, I just want what they have. You know, there's a desire, right? And we go, that's not a problem, is it? That, that's okay. It's a, it is actually a problem because it leads to jealousy. And jealousy is when you start to target that person and not only do you want what they have, you want to see their destruction. Who's ever been overlooked for a promotion? Somebody else gets the job. Right. I'm going to make their job twice as hard because they don't deserve it. And I want to see them fail because it should have been me. It doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? But that's what envy does because it leads to jealousy. I am going to do everything I can to make sure I make their life a misery. And this is what happens with sinful side of our life. We get this feeling of unhappiness and then suddenly we start to project it onto others and we want to see their destruction. Like now, right now, if you have got a desire for destruction of somebody and you want to see their unhappiness, there is an unchecked issue in your heart that right now God says, I am putting my finger on it and I want to deal with. Because this is not only killing you, it's killing the community around you and it's killing your ability to be happy. And I love you so much. I want to come. I want to talk into this area of your heart and this wayward heart of comparison and thinking everybody else has got it all together. I want to share my love and my presence. And I want to heal that part of your life. We need to deal with the coveting side of our life. It kills our community. It kills the way we build relationships. It causes all sorts of strives and divisions in us. But here's the truth, right? I don't just say that just to say we've all got this as an issue, as a problem. I say this right now because I want to help you know how you can deal with it. Because it's quite natural in the flesh to know this. And the Bible's really good in not just telling us where we need to really correct and where we need to grow, but how we can do this. Envy and jealousy is the path to unhappiness, but thanksgiving is the key to happiness. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3 verse 15. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its fullness fill your life. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to give you this Christmas the gift of thanksgiving. I was on mission and mission is an incredible thing. It takes you to part of the world that you've never seen. And I was right in the middle of the slums in India. And it was just like I'd never ever seen it before. Houses built on houses, built on houses, no sewage, very little limited electricity. And I was meeting the church based in the middle of that slum. And the joy of the Lord I found in those houses because it was not based on poverty. It was based on the presence of God that they will welcome you and they say, come in. And they were so excited to have visitors. They took the little that they had and they gave it to us to feed us that day. And they had incredible joy proving this, that God is real 
wherever we are in the world, whatever challenges they're facing, even for daily survival, I found the presence of God right in the middle of the slum in India. What is it they have? And you realise this when, when people get the character of God and live it out. Something, there's something so precious and so powerful. Thankfulness is not just an emotion, it's an action and it's an expression. How do we say thank you? It's more than words. And I want you to, this Christmas, I want you to look for everything in Christmas. Say, thank you, God, for my food. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, that I've got a blanket I can wrap around me, even though I've got the heating turned down during this gas crisis. Thank you, God, that I can turn the TV on. Thank you, God, I've got caring neighbours. Thank you, God, that I can wander through and just smell the smells of the Christmas market and see all the lovely lights, isn't it? You know that person there is never unhappy. Because you know what? Thankfulness is free. You don't have to pay for it. You just need to acknowledge, wow, God is good. The desire is not about coveting, it's about desiring the bad things that are not good for us. How about desiring good things? Well, I've got a son who's our youngest son is special needs. He's got limited vocabulary. But he's, he's very able to let me know how he feels. He's just got this unique way. It's called behavioural communication. But there's one phrase that he comes right, and it's, it comes out of his throat. When he likes it, he's like, ooh. I do that now. Josh does it now. And I, I like it because I, this is how I know. It's his happy noise. If something happens, he's like, ooh. I, I want you this Christmas to go around with that. I want to give you that gift from Nathan, if that's all right. That, you know, when, when, when the dinner comes out at Christmas Day, it's ooh. Okay, you look slightly crazy and mad in that, you know. But it's just like, let us be thankful for what God, give thanks in every situation, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Enter His gates with thanksgiving in His heart, courts with praise. Give thanks to His name and praise His name. It is a mindset shift that if you stop looking at your neighbour and you stop listening after what's on to Instagram and you stop thinking about what you don't have and suddenly realise actually what God has given me is something really, really precious and amazing. You live like that, you're going to have the best Christmas ever. When Jesus walked this earth and thousands and thousands of people were listening to them all day and they were getting hungry and they were getting tired, he said to the disciples, we, we need to feed these. That's like, and the disciples were like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, there's thousands of people here and we haven't got no food. Talk about putting the cat among the pigeons in the catering tin. We can't do this. There's a little lad who came and goes, Hey Jesus, you can have my lunch. It's a precursor to the, one of the greatest miracles that Jesus did in the, the feeding of the 5,000. But here's the thing, what I love about that story. He takes this little. And do you know what Jesus does with it? He gives thanks. Let me tell you what thanksgiving does. It multiplies the goodness in your life. Eating alone is really challenging. But take the little role that you've got, half it and sit with somebody and say, would you share it with me? Wow. We've got warm spaces starting on Tuesday. You live alone, you're welcome to come. And just spend the evening with us. Sitting, drinking tea, hot soup. 
because it's what we have. One of the greatest things that you can give somebody this Christmas is your time. And you can bless. What are we going to do, if that's okay? There's no appeal. The only appeal for me is that you go and live this season with a heart of thanksgiving. And we're going to sing this song as an act of thanksgiving, if that's okay. And I'm going to invite you to give, as Graham indicated, that we're going to give to God. You're generous people, I know that. Take the little that you have, put it into the hands of God, and He will multiply your gift. He always has, He always will. He is faithful. Let's stand. And before we sing this song, just say, God, would you just remind me of the good things that you've done in my life? Think of your family. Think of your slippers, your warm, cosy slippers. Think of the people in your life who you're thankful for. Think of the education that you've been given or are being given. That so many people do not have that. Let's not think of the things you don't have. Let's think of the things we do have. I want to thank you, Jesus. something that we can do in church just quite freely why don't you just start to sing your thanks to God